Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Venture Property Podcast. My name is Ryan Carruthers, and I am your host for today. Thank you very much for listening. I know I always say this, but it is a great, it means a great deal to me that you guys plug into this podcast and you listen to it when you're very, very busy. Today, we are sponsored by Land Insight, which is the ultimate tool for people to find all the deals which they need. Something that I use on an almost daily basis. I use it to find land, and I also use it to find comparables because it's got a really cool calculator and some other bits and bobs so you can work out price per square foot, etc., etc. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please do hit subscribe and make sure that you are subscribed so you do not miss any episode of the podcast. I also have a tiny little favor to ask right now, and that is, can you please head over to iTunes if you're not there already and give us a review on the podcast? I'm trying to get as many reviews as physically possible. Today, I've got a really interesting guest, a guy called Andrew Southwood from D&D Leasing, who's got a really interesting take on um, on raising money. So I'd like to introduce Andrew to the show. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm really well, thank you, Ryan. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. No worries. I know we've been talking over email for some time now, and I'm quite interesting, interested to know what um, what you're going to be talking about. So why don't you give the people that don't know you a little bit of an introduction about you and how it came to pass that you work with the uh, the company that you, you currently are involved with? Sure, no problems at all. So I have been working in the asset finance industry for more than 30 years. Um, I started in commercial banking way back in the 1980s, um, but I've always worked with small businesses and have always worked financing assets. Um, a decent chunk of that time was actually in the marine space, um, working with small ship owners. Um, but that market died in 2008 with the crash and really hasn't come back. Um, so from about 2013-14, my wife and I started um, doing third-party property investing, um, rather than just doing our own homes and uh, sorry, our own homes and then sort of upgrading them or rebuilding them. Um, and very quickly, as we started doing that, we re- I realised that actually there was a hole in the market for small business finance for property investors. So I started out um, working with D&D Leasing uh, two and a half years ago um, and primarily have aimed to provide that gap in the market for financing assets that depreciate in value. Um, You know, the classic type of car lease type of thing. But a huge amount of what I do for property investors is financing their furniture. Um, but it's quite a large market. It's definitely something that for property investors, that last mile, if you like, of making a property look great so that your guests or tenants or customers are going to really want to be there. Um, Instead of having to put your hand in your pocket for paying out a large lump of cash to do that, I can spread the cost quite simply. Um, So I've been doing that. um, And then I have also been starting to work um, alongside D&D, working with one or two other lenders as well for business that they can't do so that I have capital available for a very wide range of property investors. Uh, and then we can talk about it a bit later, but I've also started to develop a couple of new products, primarily in the rent-to-rent market. Wow. So I'm noting down things right now to ask you questions, and I really don't know which one to go with first. So I'm going to go with, so you've been helping small businesses for for years and years and years um, with finance. What's the most surprising thing that you've seen them working with small businesses? 
Um, it's a really unusual one. So the classic, the classic big problem for small businesses is they never have enough money. Um, you can talk to any property investor, any small business, they could always, always do with more money. Um, it just depends on how you want to go about looking for that money. There's also a huge amount of capital out there in the marketplace from the finance industry looking to help small businesses. But most small businesses don't know that money is there, primarily because it's not from high street lenders, it's not from known names. Mm. Um, the other big issue that I come across virtually every time I either go to speak at a meeting or I'm talking to clients is um, what I describe as emotional intelligence in business. Yeah. Which I think is a really interesting one because when we talk about business, most of the time we are simply talking about facts, figures, numbers, profit and loss, deals, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But what I've come to realize is that the emotional side of property investing is actually huge when it comes to look at how we make our investment decisions, what we choose to do, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, I think that's been the most uh, surprising thing um, in terms of talking to lots and lots of property investors. Why do you think, why do you think that is on the emotional intelligence? Um, I think partly because we, as business people, we generally ignore it. Yeah. Um, and I think the other, the other reason is that uh, it's, it's come to my view anyway over, over this period of time talking to, to small businesses that most people don't take into account how they react in situations um, when they are then looking at their business. You know, you might take into account actually when I'm talking to my partner or my wife or, you know, people I've got a relationship with, um, how I react might have an impact on that. Um, but actually when it comes to turning that into a business point of view, somehow we we find it really easy to turn off the emotional side of our life, but actually it does have a big impact. So, so give you an example. When I started property investing, which was 2014, um, I got stuck having done a little bit of training, read some books. So I thought I knew a little bit. Plus, I knew lots about the finance market because I've been in it all my life and I've done assets all my life. But for some reason, I got utterly stuck in only being able to invest in property that was 30 minutes drive from my house. And that made no logical sense whatsoever. But it was something in my brain that stopped me doing it. So for the first properties we bought, we had to buy them 30 minutes drive from our house um, in order for me to get over that mental block. And that, now it's fine. I don't have that issue anymore. But but it was one of those really, really weird things that I wanted to be able to get to that property really quickly. Yeah. And I, yeah. I decided that's what I wanted to do. But actually, I've only ever been to that property once in four years. And I don't need to go to it. Jeez. Interesting. I like that. I wasn't actually expecting, when I asked you that question, I wasn't actually expecting the answer to, to go there, which is, is fantastic. And I'm... I've noted that down. I'm very interested to uh, to learn that. So you are you assist property investors to expand. You know when they are maybe when they're running low on funds. So what are what are some of the methods that you you use to do this then? I primarily have two methods, but the overall or the overarching position is that I am providing some form of liquidity into small businesses. In other words, cash that they can use 
yeah. to do something they need to do. So let's take um, furniture finance as a great example. Yeah. To make a property rent well, let well, customers really want to buy, putting furniture into property makes a huge impact, can increase your profitability, et cetera, et cetera. However, furniture, we all know, is something that is worth a great deal today and is worth nothing tomorrow. Yeah. So you are effectively investing in something that is not going to be worth anything. And at some point in the future, you are going to throw away. Mm. But you have to buy it in order to in order to get the maximum return you can from your property. Or depending on your business model, if you're doing SA units, you can't let an SA unit without it looking really nice. Because it simply won't rent, you'll be at the bottom of the pile. So what I do is I say to my customers that instead of you putting your hand in your pocket and paying three, four, five, depending on you know grand, however much it's going to cost you to buy furniture, why don't I buy it for you and I will rent it to you over a period of time and you can pay me rentals, which in another, in another description would be paying back what I paid for it. Um, and then at the end of the period, you can find some way of getting ownership to it. So basically what you're doing is you are giving, uh, you're giving the property investor the ability to convert a large cash payout now, which is a cost to them, into a monthly cost where they are matching their income and expenditure um, and therefore making a business much more cash flow efficient. And interestingly with furniture, which we can go on and talk about as well, it's one of the very few areas where you can actually get a tax break from HMRC. Wow. Well, I think we should mention that then. <laughs> so the um, if you buy if you're if you're buying furniture, new furniture for a new property, uh, HMRC changed the rules in 2015, so I understand. Uh, sorry, I've got to caveat this by saying uh, I am fully FCA regulated and authorised, but because I'm not an accountant, I'm not allowed to tell you it's carte blanche, but I've got lots of documents to prove it, so I can provide those to anybody that might want them. Um, so HMRC got rid of something called the wear and tear allowance, and they replaced it with another set of rules. that basically say if you pay cash for new furniture going into a new property, you are not allowed to um, put the cost of that furniture into your business expenditure. So you can't put it into your balance sheet as an asset and then depreciate that asset, which effectively reduces your corporation tax. Yep. How can you put it into your profit and loss account as a cost? So effectively, you've ended up paying whatever your marginal corporation tax or marginal income tax rate is above the cost of that furniture because you can't, there's no way you can get a tax deduction on that money. However, if you finance it through something called a minimum term lease, which is what I offer, you are paying a monthly rental for the use of that furniture because it's, you are, you're structuring it under a rental agreement. Well, HMRC say, well, that's fine because 100% of rentals are tax deductible. Hmm. So the difference between paying, not being able to claim corporation tax by buying it for cash or getting it on a minimum term lease and being able to deduct all of the cost of the rental is actually quite substantial. And it's often more than the cost of the rental arrangement, as in more than the equivalent interest rate built into a minimum term lease. 
Incredible. So I can see how that would very much um, get people wanting to do this. And especially if you're kitting out a HMO, for example, six bed HMO, and you want that to be of a good standard and you've got to the end of your reefer, like you say, you could see that three, four, five thousand pound investment needed. That actually take, that's a lot of capital to tie up into, into a property quite quickly, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Indeed it is. Now, the, the big difference with a lease versus you know, buying it yourself is you don't own it. I own it. Yeah. And therefore, the downside risk of all of that is that if you don't pay the rentals, I can come and collect the equipment, which is not going to be very good for anybody's um, guests, tenants or customers. Have you had that happen many times? You've had to go and take the furniture back? No, not, it's, it's never happened. Um, the property investors that we work with although generally what would be described as micro-businesses actually see the rental payments on furniture as very important, you know, yeah. sort of next importance after paying a mortgage um, if they're owning property because that's what keeps customers in their properties. Exactly. Do you find that um, a lot of your customers then, your, your landlords and your property investors are sort of doing it initially on one property and then realizing the benefit of it and then going, actually, we can then move this onto other properties. We can scale quicker because we're actually saving, saving the upfront cost. Yes, indeed. Partly because it's not a very known concept within the property investor world. Yeah. Um, it's actually um, within the finance world, Financing these types of assets is a fairly niche market. The reason for that is that um, furniture assets are classed as soft assets and the vast majority of lease finance available in the market is for hard assets, things like cars or trucks or that sort of stuff. Um, And therefore, because it's niche, it's not known about and it tends to be the uh, more niche lenders that will do that type of business. So if you wanted office furniture, there's a huge market in financing office furniture, but there's virtually no market in financing landlord furniture. So to my knowledge, there are probably only six or seven lenders in the country uh, that do landlord furniture. And to again, to my knowledge, I am the only actual lender that um, actually talks openly about what we do. I present at uh, property network meetings and that sort of stuff. Most of the other people that are doing this uh, are either introducers or brokers, which tends to have the effect of increasing the cost of the finance. Mm, interesting. So who is this Who is this product for then? Uh, the product is, is basically for any property investor, whether they are owning property or whether they are renting in property on a rent-to-rent basis. Uh, I have a structure in place where I can do business for anybody from a startup business right through to a very mature developed business. So um, each lender has a particular style of business that they want um, and they will put brackets around the edge of what they are and are not willing to do, primarily based on a credit criteria for their business. Um, And I have the ability, because of the nature of how I work, to be able to place business with a number of different lenders, um, right from the type of lenders that will do brand new startup businesses 
or businesses where the um, principals or directors have poor credit, right through to uh, large customers. I've just completed one on a uh, commercial to resi conversion that was 150 apartments, and I've done the first 30 of them. A big property developer, or again, another one I'm just completing at the moment, uh, rent to HMO operator who have got 130 properties um, in and around the London area. So quite big companies um, that I can work with. And I can place business all the way through that um, because of the nature of the way that I do my business. Wow. That big, that there's some big, big, big clients and quite a lot of furniture to be, um, yeah. to be buying. Yeah. But at the same time, I can also do stuff that's just a few thousand pounds for a rent-to-rent operator that is just starting up, just leasing in their first property, and have just set up their new business. Yeah, I mentioned, you know, remember you saying about the, the rent-to-rent and you have a, a, a specialist product for them. How does that one work then? Um, so the, I have developed a rent-to-rent loan product, which can work in two ways. So the, the best way it can work is for rent-to-rent operators that have been up and running for a year or more. Um, I realized that there was quite a gap in the market for expansion of these people's businesses. What I was seeing was that those businesses could get started often with a little bit of their own cash and then having an investor come in and work with them. But the investor was often taking a lot of money out of the business at an early stage, which I can fully understand because they're a non-assessing business and therefore it's relatively high risk. But there, is, there was very little ability to really scale a business using that model. So what I came up with was a line of credit model where I will commit um, up to 50 or 60,000 pounds to a rent-to-rent operator who's been around for a year or so, has proven their business model, proven it's profitable, proven they can grow it to a certain size. Uh, And then I will say to them, for instance, okay, uh, I will approve you for 50 or 60,000 pounds. Go and spend that money on more of the same rent-to-rent products for the next six months. So you don't have to get all of these properties all at once. You can find the ones you really want. Uh, And then for each property that you find, I will lend you 100% of your setup costs because you've already got money in the business, you've already got cash flowing through the business, therefore I can take the risk of saying, I'll give you 100% of the uh, rent deposit, the first month's rent, minor refurb, uh, furniture, and your license fee. And then you then pay me back, starting, normally we do them, they start at the end of the second month, so that there's a bit of time to actually start generating some cash from that new property. Um, And then you pay me back over a three-year period on fixed monthly repayments so that you can budget it. I will always ensure that I will only ever lend somebody enough money um, on that one property so that they are still making money out of it themselves after they paid me back. Wow. That's impressive because a lot of, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head where you said that there was that sort of gap in the market. A lot of rent to rent companies I know and I've, I've seen and, and spoke to, they do well getting the first sort of two, three, four rent to rents. And then you, you say to them, oh, how are you doing? Well, I'm waiting on, you know, getting some of the capital back in. I'm turning deals down because I'm waiting on getting some of the capital back in 
because they've had to pay for setting the property up. Like you say, the deposit, they put the deposit in an account. They can't get that until the end of the agreement. They've paid the first month's rent. They've Sometimes you'll have turned a standard resi property into a into a HMO, which is fine. They have the permission of the of the owner, etc. But then they've got the licensing set up, especially now with the the fire alarms and the fire doors. You know that can actually really sink a fair amount of money. And then you put the furniture in, then you tenant it, etc., etc. So to be able to do that, that really does give them the the power to to expand quite rapidly. Yeah, indeed. Um, and then I've just tweaked that model recently so that I can also provide um, the same finance, but instead of on a credit line, on a single but property by property basis for property investors or for rent to rent operators um, that have only been around and operating for maybe three to six months. So maybe they've got a couple of properties, they've proved it, and actually I can look at an individual property and provide them with some working capital finance. So that's what this is all about. It's about providing working capital to help people expand. Mm, and then with that one, it's on a, a single deal by, by deal basis. So it's, do you know what, bring me a deal, show me it, show me how it looks, and then we make the decision on it based on that. Correct, yeah. So really, the the rent to rent. Anybody who's listening, who's a rent to renter, should definitely be be contacting you because you are able to help them, either if they are established or they are thinking about rent to rent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because we, um, it's a market I think that's that's quite an interesting one because it's a great early stage stepping stone in your property journey. Yeah, um, you know, to learn a lot, but it also allows you to scale quite quickly um, and. Having that ability, particularly if you're a rent-to-rent operator that is doing it in order to replace um, job income from somewhere else, uh, this can be a great way of actually helping to go down that route. Um, and I think one of the great things with the way I've been able to structure this product is that the security for the lending is really, really simple. Um, so what we do is we simply take a charge on the company and register at that company's house. That's something called a debenture, which if you're old enough to have had an overdraft, a business overdraft uh, many years ago, you would have signed the same document with um, uh, the High Street Bank. So that basically gives the lender a charge over the company. Um, and then I take the director's guarantees and that's it. We're not looking for any property security or anything like that. It's we are looking to help a cash flow business grow more cash flow. Wow. And you mentioned the word debenture. Oh, I've signed a few of them in my time. That's, uh, yeah, when those forms come out, that's always a fun one, isn't it? And you go to see the solicitor and then they talk you through it and they, every time they say, now I've got to, I've got to do this and you know what you're signing for. This is a debenture, which, yeah, we'll lock you down on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loads and loads of fun. So a bit, I bet you've seen some really, really cool sort of examples then of when you've been able to to get into to this um, a rent to rent business. It's been established. You've been able to work with them. You've they've got through all of the checks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and then you've been able to say, okay, here's a line of credit. And then in six months' time, they've they've spent that. And I bet you've seen some amazing deals, haven't you? 
Uh, yeah, there, there are some really interesting business models out there. So we've only just finished um, testing this model, so it's not been around that long. Um, but it's been there long enough to um, see some really interesting deals. Um, and they come in many, many different forms, right from um, some guys I'm working with in uh, sort of Slough area at the moment um, who are just starting out, but they come across some really interesting deals. They've got a couple up and running already. Um, I helped them with furniture finance on their very first deal. Um, they got that up and running, working smoothly. Then they start having letting agents coming to them, bringing them interesting deals. And so when they come to the next one, they say, look, we don't have enough money to complete this. Can you help us fill the gaps? Absolutely, because they've built a track record with a lender already, et cetera, et cetera. Right through to um, some of the larger clients that I'm working with, we're looking at a really interesting um, rent-to-SA model at the moment, which is virtually exclusively corporate lets. Um, and um, mainly on new build apartments, uh, but there's real scale in that model. So there are some real, there are some really interesting products, or sorry, projects out there which I come across. And it's one of the things I like about my job the most because I can really get under the skin of what property investors are doing, of what their business model is, and where they're trying to get to, and that helps me to really be able to help them. Mm, I can tell that and you can you can feel that coming across in the in the way you're talking about it and the way that you are spotting these these gaps in the market and then catering uh, products for them I wonder what the most interesting sort of deal you've seen is then um I would have to say uh, that one I just dis- just described very briefly so it's a a rent-to-SA model where the customer is virtually exclusively corporate. Um, Therefore, they tend to be longer-term lets. These tend to be aimed at executives rather than professionals. And the operator is generally taking new-build apartments, often multiple new-build apartments all in the same place, in order to grow their business model. It's one that I haven't seen very much of before. There are many corporates doing that sort of thing. Um, you saw Cheval Apartments and your Seikos and people like that. But at that sort of, at that property investor level, the small business level, I've not seen anybody doing that before. And that, that is fascinating, that model. Very interesting. One question that um, I do have that I didn't tell you about. These I've got a couple that I haven't told you about, and I've been I've been reading a lot of uh, business books recently and thinking about this whole disruption of people disrupting businesses. I wonder how you think the business, or in general, of leasing of, of this, what we've been talking about, or even your own business, will be disrupted in the future. Um, there, I think there will be a number of disruptions. There is undoubtedly, within the finance industry, there's undoubtedly quite a substantial move towards AI. Um, but in, in my opinion, whilst there are some bits of that that will be fantastic, there are some bits of that that will simply turn into a computer says no, Yeah, um, which I personally hate. Uh, because I'm old enough, I was trained so to do relationship lending, relationship banking. And I think that the personal touch is huge in business, but I think it's even huger in the property market when you look at 
number of people that go to property meetings, number of people that want to be at network meetings, finding out about each other, learning from each other, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's even more so in the property industry. So I think you will see quite a lot of disruption down that route. Um, I do still think that personal touch is really interesting um, and I think will be quite profound. Um, there's also quite been quite a move of late to move away from that personal side. So if you look at the challenger banks, um, your sort of uh, Shawbrooks, Aldermores, uh, Metros, I'm sorry, Metro is probably not a very good example, uh, type of banks, a lot of them have moved away from being close to a customer. So they only want to deal with a broker um, and it's a very transactional way of doing banking. Well, I can again, I can see the benefits of that from a cost point of view, but I really like the idea of working personally. Um, one of the things I am trying to do within the businesses that I'm connected to at the moment is trying to make the disruption work for the client. So things like really pushing down the route of e-signatures, um, which in if you're letting properties, it's quite normal now. In finance, it's still quite abnormal. Um, but taking some of that technology that is out there and trying to make it work in what is still quite a traditional industry. The e-signatures one is is definitely one that um, <laughs> that really drives me crazy. I was filling in a uh, a form for a bank actually, which you've just mentioned in this uh, in this podcast um, for a project that I'm taking on, and um, they sent me the form electronically and said, "Please, can you fill this in?" Of which I did, and sent it back to them, and then they said, "Oh, actually, we don't take an e-signature. It's got to be wet." So then I had to print the form off. I, I've got an, an app on the phone called Scannable, which is a really good app if anybody needs to scan anything because you can just scan it and send it straight off as a PDF from your phone and then send them that. But this is, a, this is crazy, isn't it? Yes, it is because it doesn't need, it doesn't need to be done. There is now a legal precedent that e-signatures work. Uh, they've, they've, it's gone through the courts and it's been proven. But the, uh, the inertia of the way we've always done it is not an easy one to get through. It does take a long time. Um, and it will, it will happen more and more. Um, I did do one mortgage application recently, which I thought was actually really good because they did use e-signatures. And to prove who I was, um, they used, I think it was a company called Onfido or something like that, um, where... The structure is that they they get you to scan your passport and send it to them, and then through your phone or through your camera on the computer, um, they can then verify using facial mapping who you are and match it up um, in order to do your. So you don't have to go down to the post office anymore um, to get a certified copy of your passport. Which again, that's the way the market's going. It just it's going to take a long time to get there. It's exactly what banks like Starling and Tide are doing. And, you know, yeah. if, you're, if you're in property and you're creating multiple SPVs for different projects and you, you can open an account within 24 hours, that, that is a massive bonus for us. And that, I love the way the industry is going like that, the speed and the technology. I'm a massive geek for it, as anyone who listens to this podcast knows. The, uh, it just drives me crazy with the e-signature, especially when they check. So they, they check which email address you've logged through from clicking on their 
sign button. So when they send you an email, it says, okay, Ryan at Venture Property Lincoln has clicked it. They've got my IP address. They've got how long it took me from clicking the link to signing it. So they know how long I read it for. It just, yeah, it just crazy. Um, absolutely crazy. So another question that I've got um, is completely not around business at all, but I've been like I say, I've been reading a lot of uh, different business books recently. And one of the books that's really having a massive impact, actually, is a book by um, Michael Hyatt called Free to Focus. And he's talking about breaking down your, your week into chunks, et cetera, et cetera, and making sure that you do the things that you're best at and also putting in time to, to relax and chill out. And I think that, you know, one of these, if I see people and they're saying, oh, we're always hustling, I really hate that. And they're like, oh, hustling all the time, hustling all the time. I'm like, you really don't need to. I don't think you're being productive. So one of my, my questions to you is, so how do you, how do you chill out then? How do you relax? Uh, I am very fortunate in that my role is not office-based. So uh, I'm with my lenders uh, once a week, once every two weeks. Um, but I'm primarily sort of working from home, from a car on the road. Um, so in and of itself, that gives you a different way of actually going about doing your work, which I really enjoy. Um, in terms of time for me, um, I am one of those people that loves being in the outdoors. Um, so if you want to get me a piece, um, put me in the outdoors. Uh, I did some, um, some intro videos um, uh, for, I think, oh, for something I was doing on the pin circuit, um, where, my, where I do quite a lot of speaking. And I just could not get this video down by sitting at my computer and doing it. The only way I managed to actually make it work was to go out into the countryside and film it on my phone um, with a beautiful background. And, and actually, that, that got me peaceful enough to be able to do it. Um, my sport is one called orienteering, which is basically running around a wood or a forest with a map and a compass, effectively doing a treasure hunt. Um, and I absolutely love it. It's cool. You know, they they um uh, it, they call it thinking man's running because you have to you're you're having to uh, map read and course set for yourself whilst running as fast as you can um, often in a lot of oxygen deficit so having to make very quick decisions those sort of things I love doing I love hiking I, I love walking that sort of stuff incredible I think this is actually going to be one of my questions that I'm going to ask now to everybody because. I think it's great that we talk about business and we get a lot of um, a lot of content from that. But I think a massive one is how people actually refocus and take the time away. I'm I'm with you. I live about an hour away from the Peak District, and literally every opportunity I can, I'm out there. The phone can't be on, and I find that that really relaxes me. But also, that's where I'm quite creative anyway. So by having that time to just relax and sort of de-stress when I actually come back to a complex problem I'm so refreshed and I'm ready and I'm firing and it enables me to to sort of perform at a hundred percent yeah I would agree with you there I definitely think it's something that we uh, we need to do um, in just in order to be able to be um, to be good to be nice to ourselves mm. I agree completely. Is there anything you think I should have asked you, but I haven't? Um, no, other than you didn't ask me anything about my property journey. Oh, so shall we touch on your property journey then? 
<laughs> yeah, go on really quickly. Other than obviously what I said about getting stuck when I bought my first properties. <laughs> well, over to you. Let's ex- explain explain what's happened. Um, so my wife and I have um, always enjoyed renovating property. So we've actually ended up making most of our money to date by the properties that we've lived in. Mm-hmm. We, for the, I think the last 25 years, we have probably always bought a rundown house on a good street um, and then rebuilt it in some way to add value to it, lived in it for five years, maybe a bit longer, and then gone and done the same thing again. And we both really, really enjoy doing that. Um, my wife particularly has got a lot of uh, design flair and she can walk into a house and see what you could do with it, which is fantastic. Um, we then started investing in a property that we don't live in uh, about four or five years ago. That was that started just very simply as a small business owner myself. Um, you put a lot of concentration into running your business. You don't necessarily put a lot of concentration onto building a pension pot. And we realized that has was linked to the small side. So um, property looked like a great way of building um, an income stream for our retirement and also a legacy for our kids. Um, so uh, we bought some new build uh, off-plan apartments uh, in West London. Yeah. Uh, and they worked extremely well, uh, very hands-off, uh, fully managed by somebody else and uh, very pleased with those. And then the more uh, property meetings we went to, you learn about other ways of doing business, other ideas. Uh, The idea of short-term lets took our uh, fancy quite substantially. So uh, we have also purchased some apartments in Oxfordshire, uh, which are being used as SA units. Um, And then we have been doing uh, some rent-to-rent investments um, again, from my point of view, those rent-to-rent investments are very much around, I look at them as if they are financial investments. So for me, they are about choosing the right operator to work with or the right manager to work with, not necessarily about the particular properties. So I'm buying into somebody else's ability to be able to deliver really good quality short-term accommodation. I think that that comes across not just in what um, what you're looking for in in the rent to rent investments, but in everything that you do. You seem to be seem to have a really good nose for for people and and like that side of the business as well, and be able to to scope people out and get a feel for them, and then enable them to grow their business, and then obviously enables you to give the the returns to your investors that um, that they're looking for. I think when you're working with small businesses, that one of the largest things is around, can I do business with this person? Do they fit generally with how I think about the world or with how I would want to deal with somebody and be dealt with by somebody? Uh, It is about, you know, and from my point of view, it's about looking them in the eye and saying, do I really think they're going to pay me back? that's a value judgment which is actually a very soft skill it's not about a hard skill Um, and that's one of the things i really really enjoy doing and i think that's an incredible um place to sort of end the interview as well i think that's a a really good takeaway for for people to listen to and if they if they do want to get in contact with you where is the best place for them to to contact you uh two email addresses a southwood at d and d leasing.co.uk 
or andrew at culbonefinance.co.uk. And the culbone is spelled C-U-L-B-O-N-E. Fantastic. I'll make sure that all of those are included in the show notes as well. So if anyone does want to be able to uh, to get hold of Andrew, you will be able to just click them and an email will pop up and you'll be able to email him straight away. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. You've been an absolute pleasure. No problems at all. Really happy to be with you. And thank you very much indeed for inviting me.